Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 147, and we are recording on Tuesday, February 21st. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Kendra. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. We actually had, uh, it was over 70 degrees today. Oh, I'm so jealous. So it was really lovely. The corgis got to go play outside and they had a great time. Sorry, I just said the the P word and so Dylan's behind me and he's like, what? What? <laughs> Wait, what was, the, what, what, what was that P word? Spell it out so he doesn't get excited. I missed it. Uh, P-L-A-Y. Ah, that one. Oh, okay. I was I was like, outside? No, that doesn't start with a P. You can see where my brain is this evening. So hopefully I will not be consistently running about two seconds behind. But I am very jealous. It got up to almost 50 today, which is better than it was like this time last week. And last week we got like four to six inches of snow and ice and sleet and ugh, it was so gross <laughs> my my the whole front of my car just i was driving home from work uh we closed early last week at the library because it was the storm was supposed to be really bad the roads were supposed to be really bad so and i have to take a highway home i'm i live about 30 minutes away from work and so i did i was doing okay on the highway but if i came up near a semi i just got this enormous sheet of dirty slush all across the front of my windshield, and it was completely opaque. Like, you couldn't see anything when this happened. So I'm, like, frantically have the windshield wipers going, trying to clear it off and trying to avoid, like, every semi that I possibly can. And I got home okay, but the next day I looked at the front of my car, and just the whole front of my car is just solid ice that's the color of dirty slush. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> telling my car i'm like y'all i'll get you i'll get you a, a car wash you deserve it i'm so sorry poor thing it's gonna come out of the winter and just be like i will never be the same <laughs> yeah i mean this isn't my car's first winter so she should be i mean she should be used to it but i still feel bad <laughs> and oh gosh and we're gonna be we're gonna be going on vacation we're leaving this weekend and we're gonna be going to california which is great but i've been looking at the weather and we're spending the first half of our vacation in la and i'm looking at the weather and i'm like it says mid 50s and rainy that's not that different from what i'm leaving right now i'm like come on la <laughs> <laughs> do your job have sun yeah i want sun and i want 70 degrees <laughs> So, yeah, so now I guess I'll just be going through my closet, figuring out what layers I need to bring. Layering is always good in California. Yeah, 
this, yeah, this will be my first trip out to California. So we, we oh. shall see how that goes. I, I hope you love it. I love California. And granted, I mostly go to the Bay Area because that's where my spouse's family is from. But I love California. They have the best fresh produce. To, oh, it's so good. Yeah, we're going to be doing, I think, half in, half in L.A. because that's where my sister-in-law lives um, with her husband. We're going to be doing half the trip there and then the other half of the trip in San Diego with a one-day stop-off in Temecula where my husband's aunt lives. We're going to, uh, his whole family is going to be coming for at least the first part of the vacation. So it'll be a big Horner family reunion in Temecula out there and... <laughs> Um, and then we'll be going to San Diego. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking, I'm like, oh, come on, just please some sunshine. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have to go swimming. I don't need to walk. I'm like, I'm not planning to go in the ocean. Just please <laughs> give me some slightly warmer temperatures and some vitamin D. That's like all I need right now. Well, you know, if all else fails, you'll have great food. Yes. You know? Yes. And we are planning to go to the last bookstore in LA, which I've told is been told is like the be all and end all of book shopping. And I'm very, very excited about that. That sounds great. I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it's been that kind of a week. And we both talked about before we started recording that we, we we're still reading the same thing and or we ha are not reading anything right now. So we are just a bucket of laughs this <laughs> week. But, I, you know, just a big old sigh, just. Oh. <laughs> I also do the true story newsletter. So I've been doing stuff for that. And so it's like a balance of like mystery and thrillers and nonfiction and all sorts of things. And so I just finished nonfiction. So mystery and thriller folks, probably not your jam. But if you want to know that Matthew Desmond's Poverty by America is is pretty good, I would recommend it. It's nonfiction. And there's certainly crime happening in that book. So I, you know, there's your little bonus recommendation. Outside of our genre, but, you know, that's why it's a bonus one, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm still listening to How to Sell a Haunted House by Grady Hendrix, which I talked about last time. And, yeah, creepy creepy stuff is hitting hard. Be prepared if you do read or listen to this book to have some very visceral reactions to it. Like, you know, shouting out loud in, you know, if you're listening to it on your commute, if you're in the car by yourself, you may find yourself yelling at the audiobook. You may experience the urge to fling the physical book as far away from you as possible. It is like that level of creepy, which is totally my jam. But, yeah, it's been a little slow going just because the audio, I think audiobooks, by their nature are just inherently more intense for really dark type of types of stories because you can't skim through this stuff. You are just kind of, unless you speed up the the narration, you are just kind of forced to be dragged along. And yeah, there's really no escaping it. So I've kind of had to parcel that out in smaller chunks and, you know, sometimes, you know, break it up with my Spotify playlist. I'm like, okay, this is a lot. I need a little bit of a music break. <laughs> so we're, we're still working on, on that. And I'm debating about whether or not I want to finish listening to it on the plane because that's not a great place to yell and chuck <laughs> things far away from you. <laughs> so might have to have some backup listening there. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and take a quick pause for our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. 
So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, so welcome to the show. If you are a new listener, we are delighted to have you. If you're a longtime listener, we are so delighted that you decided to come back. (laughs) And like we said at the beginning of the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and thrillers and pretty much anything that falls under that very broad category of mystery and suspense. So it can be talking about new subgenres that we haven't really explored before. We could be talking about true crime. We could be talking about movie adaptations, award news, author read-alikes, anything that, you know, if it's vaguely connected to mysteries and suspense in some way, it's probably fair game for us to chat about. And this is always the part in the show where we put out a call to our listeners to let us know if you have any suggestions for upcoming episodes, because they really do help us plan so many of the episodes that we've recorded over the last, I think this show has actually been running for five and a half years now, which I cannot believe. But we really do use these suggestions is what I'm saying. It's a great way for us to know what you, the listeners, would like to hear more of. It's a great way for us to expand our own reading horizons. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, just shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We are going to have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. So don't worry about getting it all down now. We just put that call out at the beginning to get the creative juices flowing while you listen. And even if you don't have an idea and just want to give us a shout out and say hi, that is also 
100% acceptable. We love hearing from our listeners and it gives us many happy fuzzies. If you enjoy this podcast, definitely head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review so that other people can find us because that is really, really helpful for us and to help people discover us. So I guess we have some news to talk about today, which is really nice. So apparently the Crime Writers Association has a Diamond Dagger Award, which I hadn't heard of before. Uh, So Katie, what is the Diamond Dagger Award? You know, it's funny because, I mean, having done this for a while, I'm familiar with the Crime Writers Association and I am familiar with the Diamond Dagger Award. It's it's basically established itself as the highest honor in crime writing. Like, this is a big freaking deal to win the Diamond Dagger. But the interesting thing is that it just doesn't seem like it gets a ton of attention over here in the United States. It is part of a... Uh, the Crime Writers Association is a British Writers Association, and so these are these awards are ge- aren't given out solely to British writers, but it is based over in the UK. So I don't think it gets the attention outside of the mystery and thriller community the way that say maybe the Edgar Awards do over here. But at any rate, the Diamond Dagger is basically like a lifetime achievement award given to really, really prestigious authors. And the 2023 recipient is Walter Mosley, who is extremely accomplished and very, very deserving of this award. So the Crime Writers Association puts out, um, has their Dagger Awards gala, so to speak. It's been called the Oscars of the crime genre. And that is going to take place at the beginning of July. But the news of Walter Mosley winning the award is announced a few months ahead of time, just, you know, just to let everyone know. And so he can, you know, receive his well-deserving praise and accolades for that. But yeah, I mean, Walter Mosley, he has written more than 60 books, which I was not aware of. I knew he was a very prolific writer. And I knew he had been writing for a long time. Um, I read his first book, Devil in a Blue Dress, which was written in 1990. I read it, uh, I wanna, I've read it within the last 10 years, I think. I read it within, within that time frame. And it's really seen as a classic of the like hard-boiled noir genre. And just from there, his career has just absolutely exploded. It's actually, I think, very appropriate for us to be mentioning this today. On the day of this recording is also the day that his latest book is being released, Every Man a King. So yeah, I mean, the man just keeps on writing. And he is very deserving of the award. The Diamond Dagger has gone out to other authors such as Michael Connolly, Ruth Rendell, Lee Child, Sue Grafton, P.D. James, Lawrence Block. I mean, there's a ton of really well-established crime writers that have received this award. So Walter Mosley gets to join their ranks. Oh, that's really cool. And I was just scrolling back through some of the previous winners and... There are people like Michael Connolly, Martin Edwards, Anne Cleves, Lee Child. So a lot of big names, a lot of prolific writers. So it's really interesting to see like what 
you know, they're looking for with this award. That's something I always think about with awards, like what is a, you know, book or book or whatever. So I'm definitely going to have to explore this page um, after we're done recording because I'm just excited to learn more about it, I guess. I'm just a little nerd. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've like, I'm, I know we've talked about this, about the Crime Writers Association before on the show. And I think every time we've mentioned it, we're like, yeah, it's not like outside, like I said before, outside of the community, it doesn't seem like it gets a huge amount of attention the way that, like you said, the Booker Awards or the National Book Awards or, you know, the Pulitzer or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, this extremely prestigious award, I'm like, I feel like it should have more attention. So slowly, maybe on Red or Dead, we will get to the point where every year when this comes out, we're not going, oh, yeah, that is a thing, isn't it? But yes, but yes, very big honor to Walter Mosley. And if you haven't had a chance to pick up any of his books, this could be a very good opportunity to do so. Well, that sounds amazing. And there's just a slew of cool things on the website. So of course, we'll link that in the show notes, et cetera, et cetera, for you all to enjoy. And uh, well, well, this week, I guess, it's time to jump into our picks. And so we decided that we would do picks for Black History Month. So we would feature books by Black authors. And it was really difficult to decide on who to pick. I don't know about you, but I was just sitting here like, who are my absolute favorites? And that's kind of how I decided. <laughs> yeah, I went off of my TBR. And there were a lot of books that I was like, oh, I haven't read this one yet. I haven't read this one yet. And I think when we decided last, after we finished recording our last episode, and we were talking about what we wanted to do. And I'm like, oh, I could do this author. Oh, no way, I could do this one. And this one, oh, they just came out with a new book that I haven't read yet. Oh, what about this one? And, you know, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, at Book Riot, all of us have have a very strong focus on reading books written by non-white authors just across the spectrum all year long. You know, this isn't, you know, it's not like we only read mysteries by Black authors during Black History Month. But, yeah, it, I, it's definitely a time to really take a pause and really focus on just how much amazing writing is is coming from so many of these Black authors and seems to be coming at a, thankfully, a faster pace than it has in years previously. There's just, there's just, I think, I think I called it an embarrassment of riches <laughs> when we were, uh, when we were trying to narrow down what we were going to talk about. But yeah, I mean, why don't you go ahead and give us your first pick? I know you have talked about this author before, but I very much appreciate this <laughs> this particular author. So I I really, really love S.A. Cosby for a lot of different reasons. And the book I chose today is My Darkest Prayer, purely because I think it's a lesser known S.A. Cosby because it was not originally published with his publisher now. And so they have reissued My Darkest Prayer in paperback so everyone can re can re-listen to it. You can tell where my mind is, where everyone can reread it or read it for the first time. Um, but they've also made an audiobook, which is stunning. So I love this novel because it really shows the origins of S.A. Cosby because having read his other two novels to date, I could see the origins of his style and what he was trying to do. So sometimes he'll follow a trope, like 
a cop who's no longer a cop and there's some like dark thing in his past of why he's no longer a cop, but he finds himself sucked back into that world of crime solving, whatever, right? We've all read those books, but he takes that and turns it on its head. And then also a lot of the times has social commentary on what it's like for a black man to be a cop and to have this experiences. And he just does it so well. And in a Southern context, I moved to the South. I don't know how long ago now my brain is frozen at like almost 15 years ago now. So I've been here a while and my brother actually lives close to where this novel is set, which is in around Gloucester, Virginia, which is the Chesapeake Bay area, like north of there. Anyway, if you know folks in the 757, you'll know. Anyway, the point is this novel is set about, it's about Nathan Waymaker, who's a man who is no longer in law enforcement, and he's a former Marine. Um, and so he is working for his cousin at, they were, his cousin owns a funeral home and he embalms. And so Nathan basically does all like the the work with the people, right? So while his cousin is doing embalming and, and whatever, he's doing more people stuff and organizing that sort of thing. The person that greets the family as they're coming into the funeral home, that kind of thing. So when at the end of this funeral, these two ladies come up to him and they're like, hey, you know, our pastor just died. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. They're like, we think he was murdered. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. And that's how it starts. And he's hired by these two ladies to look into their pastor's death. And I'm just like, this is fascinating. And it kind of goes from there. And I feel like in the first book, you can see how S.A. Cosby is going to turn everything on its head with his novels. And he does. They're very much in a firmly established tradition but they're written from his perspective as a black man with law enforcement, which is very, very different than a lot of the novels that we've seen so far who are written by white people. I think this is so important that we analyze crime from a different perspective because it's way easy as crime lovers just to go along with it. But he really wants you to think about the stories that he's telling. And this book shows that from the very beginning. It's a little clunky, it's a little too neat in places, sure, but I feel like it's really something you won't want to miss. I know he has a brand new book, his fourth novel, coming out this summer. I have an arc, and I screamed when it arrived at my house. Uh, <laughs> but all that to say, um, that's why I picked it, is because I think it has a lot to say, not just in the novel, but as our collective conversation. So, sorry, I just talked forever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a really good author. And I've mentioned before that the, the only book of his that I've read to this point is Razorblade Tears, which was really good, really intense, really violent. And so I, I just I always give that caveat to anyone who's looking to pick up one of his books. But it was really intriguing and it and it definitely has put him towards the top of my ever-growing TBR. He's he's a really, really interesting author for all of the reasons that you described there. And I'll include in the show notes an interview he did with Pamela Paul, who used to um, be the editor-in-chief or whatever it is of the New York Times Book Review. She headed that up for a long time, I think almost 10 years, and she had an interview with him. And I think S.A. Cosby does a great job of also lifting up other Southern writers as well. He's very much invested in that. And he particularly talks about Appalachian noir as well, which is great because Southern and Appalachian noir are you know, basically cousins. So yeah, I'll include that discussion. But that is um, My Darkest Prayer by S.A. Cosby. I've talked forever. I am so sorry, Katie. What is your first pick? 
<laughs> enthusiasm is genuine. <laughs> no, no, no. I Well, I've got a lot of enthusiasm for this book. So this was one that was on my, that was on my radar when it came out last year. And it has gotten so much acclaim since it was published about a year ago. And it is The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. So with this book, I will tell you right off the bat, there is no murder in this book. So this is a really good suggestion for people who want a crime novel, but they really don't want to see anyone get murdered. So the crime in this book is that there is a violin that has been stolen. But it is not just any violin. The main character is Ray McMillan, and he is, at this point, he's in his, like, early to mid-20s, I think. And he is a really, really well-established just as a classical violin player. And he has been playing for a long time, but has had to overcome a lot of obstacles in order to do so. His family was not wealthy enough for him to have his own violin for the longest time, so he would play on a rental. He comes from a family that doesn't appreciate music, and his mom is always hounding him to get a what she calls a real job so that he can help pay the rent and pay her bills. So he's really struggling, but he just has this really innate, deep-seated love of classical music. And then when he's in high school or college, his grandmother gives him his... I think it's his great-great-grandfather's old fiddle. And she tells him about how, you know, this fiddle was gifted to his grandfather by the man who owned him because his great-great-grandfather was born into slavery. So it was given to him along with his freedom. And so his his great-great-grandfather just really cherished this fiddle. And his grandmother remembers him playing it for her. And so she's kept it and she gives it to him because he has his ancestors' really deep appreciation and talent for music. Well, he eventually learns that this violin is not just any violin, it is a Stradivarius, and it's worth probably like $10 million. And with this Stradivarius, he is able to really kind of really quickly shoot through the ranks of the classical music scene, performing with different orchestras and performing in different competitions. And he's garnering, he's gathering a lot of attention because he is a young black man who can play the violin, the play classical violin exceptionally well, which is extremely rare. Classical music is a very, very white group of people. And then about a month or so before he is set, before Ray is set to take part in the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow, which is described as like the Olympics of classical music, his violin is stolen. And so he's trying to figure out who who did it. And his two biggest uh, suspects are his family, who once they found out how much the violin was worth, they have been trying to get him to sell it and give them the money. Or... He thinks it could be from the the descendants of the man who owned his great-great-grandfather because they're saying he has no proof that that their ancestor gifted his ancestor the violin. And so they're saying, um, actually, it's ours. And so they're trying to sue him to get it back. And this is not a spoiler because you learn all of this in like the first couple of chapters of the book. But what really makes this book interesting is that, okay, you start off the book, the violin is stolen, and then... Like, that's just, that's the first small part of the book. The 
And then after that, the next really significant chunk of the book, like the next half, maybe two thirds of the novel, goes back in time to when he first starts, when he's playing violin in high school, he starts playing violin in college, he gets a really good teacher and so on, and it tracks his progress. And it also tracks the microaggressions and non-microaggressions that he deals with as a black man dealing, you know, with the classical music community and also the descendants of the family that owned his great-great-grandfather. And so he's talking about, you know, he's getting pulled over by the by the police. They see this violin in, in the car and they're like, you stole this. And he's like, oh my gosh, no, I didn't. Yeah. And so a big chunk of the book is like leading up to the events of the crime when the violin is stolen. And then the last part of the book kind of is the investigation and resolution of the crime. So it's very interestingly structured. This is such a page turner. I swear I finished it in, again, like two giant gulps. It is such an interesting book. You really feel for the characters. You do not have to have any knowledge or even interest in classical music. I don't. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I really don't. But you are just really swept away by the character's passion and the author's passion because Brendan Slocum is also a very accomplished classical musician. And so a lot of the stuff that happens to Ray in the book is drawn directly from the author's experiences. I mean, he didn't have a priceless Stradivarius stolen from him, but like the microaggressions that Ray experiences in the uh, afterward, the author is like, yeah, this all happened, has happened to me at one point or another in my career. You know, like being hired to play at a wedding and then having people threaten to call the cops when he shows up because they can't believe that there is a black man there to play classical music at the wedding. They think he's there to steal something. And it's so good. It is so, so good. I mean, considering, again, considering what my reading tastes usually run towards, what side of the spectrum they run towards, like the fact that this doesn't have any murder in it, and I was just tearing through it. It's so good. (laughs) I really, really loved it. I have heard nothing but good things about this book. And I think I first heard about it from Liberty when it was first coming out. And I immediately went out and bought a copy. I need to bump it up. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, it's like I said, it's such a fast read and it just pulls you in. And yeah, there's just so much passion and it's, oh, it's so, so awesome. I loved it so much. And again, so now I am just rambling on just at length. So (laughs) I will cut it off there. If you haven't read it, definitely go read it. It's The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. All right. And then before we jump into our second round of picks, let's go ahead and pause for our second sponsor. All right, Kendra, what do you got? All right. So I, once again, was sitting and thinking about the books that I really love and my favorite crime writers and Attica Locke is definitely, definitely up there. Um, I, I know I've talked about Bluebird, Bluebird in that series before, which, I mean, Shamar Moore was made to be in the, <laughs> in the uh, like mini series or whatever of those books at some point. Uh, maybe we could do a fun topic of the books we want to see adapted, but I digress. Today I'm talking about The Cutting Season, which is a standalone book that she has. And it's about Karen, who is a black woman who works on the grounds of Belle V, which is a historic plantation house in Louisiana. 
and she gives tours and all sorts of things. And uh, I believe the land has been leased or sold off around it. So they still have like sugarcane fields right next to it. Um, and then they have a lot of undocumented workers and different things coming in to work on the plantation. So what Attica Locke does with this novel is create those parallels of work and livable wages and how our society has is still like repeating itself in a lot of ways. And she does that so cleverly with the reveal, which I will obviously not be telling you all, but it's about a body that is like shows up, a worker is found dead. And so then Karen is forced to like have to deal with that as the manager of the tourist part of the plantation. What's interesting though, is that she, her family, were enslaved on this plantation, then they were set free, and the family just kind of stayed around. They didn't really have, you know, anywhere to go. But Karen is friends with the guy who's now an adult, who this is his family's land. His family owned the plantation. So she grew up friends with the family, kid from the family that enslaved her family. And it's a very sticky situation. It's very much enmeshed, very entangled. And I think Attica Locke does a great job of slowly unraveling those threads for readers so that you get a full picture of what Karen is going through. It's a very character-driven mystery novel, but I loved it. Yeah, this book, I actually, when I read this book, it was actually in preparation for the first podcast episode that I ever recorded with Book Riot, because unbeknownst to me, that was basically to, you know, see how I did with podcasting, and then Red or Dead was born after that. So not that the that that necessarily has any specific connection to this novel, but that's always what I think of. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember reading this one for the fir- my first podcast episode. I was a guest on, I can't remember which, po- it wasn't all the books. I was I was a guest on one of the other podcasts and I was talking about it. But oh, it's so good. It's one of yeah, very it's a crossover between I think literary and crime fiction, but it's a really really engaging social mystery. I really enjoyed it when I read it. And that was god, that probably was like 6 years ago at this point, 6 or 7 years ago. Yeah. I I read it for the podcast I, on Reading Women, um, when we did, I can't remember if we did Southern novels or Southern crime novels, either one, obviously it would work. But I think is really interesting is, like you said, it's like a social crime novel. It's also providing commentary. And that's where I think Attica Locke and S.A. Cosby work so well in that vein is that their characters are really well developed. The social context is really important. They're asking readers not just to enjoy this mystery as a mystery novel. They're asking you to think bigger. Think about why crime happens. Think about these big picture things, particularly in the Southern context, which obviously I'm, you know, I love reading Southern literature. And that's why, like, to me, they're my favorite writers, right, you know, that I've read so far for mysteries is because of that. And that's just something... Yeah, I really, I really enjoy. And the cover of The Cutting Season is stunning. Like it has the old like oak trees with the Spanish moss and the mist. Oh, so creepy. It's perfect. <laughs> but that is The Cutting Season by Attica Locke. Um, and Katie, what's your second pick? 
Um, so mine is sort of, it's two books by the same author, and the reason for that is because I meant to read the author's most recent book, which came out a few months ago, and didn't get a chance to do so. So I'm going to talk about the book of hers that I have read, and then lament the fact that I didn't get to the one that I haven't had a chance to read. It's a bonus wreck. <laughs> so the author is Wanda M. Morris, and the book of hers that I have read is her debut, and it's All Her Little Secrets, which came out like at the end of 2021. And it was one of my favorite books of that year. So it's like a psychological legal thriller, kind of. You have um, Elise Littlejohn, who has an Ivy League law degree. She's a corporate attorney in Atlanta. She's got a good group of friends. And she has a what they what she calls a for fun relationship with her white boss, whose name is Michael. And already I'm like, ooh, that is not a good idea. <laughs> that is, that is, there are just lot, lots of problems with that decision there. But the book starts off where Elise goes to meet Michael early in the morning at his office and finds him in his office with a gunshot to his head. And you may think that she would freak out and call the police or, oh my gosh, what happened? But she walks away as if she has not been in his office and has not seen anything because she has a whole lot of dark secrets from her past that she is really hoping to keep under wraps and she really does not want to be pull potentially pulled into the media spotlight. But obviously his body does end up being discovered not terribly long after she leaves his office. The police are getting suspicious. They think there was foul play. And Elise, who is, she is also the only black attorney at this law firm. And she is suddenly promoted to replace Michael, which at first seems like a huge opportunity. But now that she is at that executive level, she realizes there is something off going on in, in this corporation. So as with all legal thrillers, the situation basically devolves from there and gets increasingly more complicated. She has a lot of personal secrets from her personal life. She has a sibling who always seems to be in jail or on the run from something. And yeah, there's just there's just a lot of stuff happening there. But there, like I said, there's also, she realizes that there's some shady stuff going on that she is, while she's not privy to it, she is exposed to it now, and now it becomes her problem as well. And I really loved this book. I thought it was a really great mashup of, like I said, psychological suspense. It came out in the same year as The Other Black Girl by Zakia Delilah Harris, which I also read and had that really great blend of like psychological horror and workplace suspense, I guess. <laughs> it wasn't that that one didn't take place in a law office, it was in a publishing company, but it has that same blend of, you know, very much that feeling of unease that black women face in the workplace, especially when they are in a predominantly white industry and a predominantly male industry. And yeah, I just think she really nailed that balance. It was a really, just a really fast paced read. And it was just so, so good. So that's the book that I read previously. And the one that she published just at the end of 2022 was Anywhere You Run, which just a quick summary of that, you have two sisters in 1964. Both are basically on the run from for different reasons. One of them 
is in legal trouble. She's been attacked and she, and in self-defense, she kills the man who has attacked her. Um, and so this, so this sister, Violet, she goes on the run to escape being connected to this murder. But yeah, so she's, she's trying to just escape all, escape all of that. And then Marigold, who is Violet's older sister, is trying to attend law school, but she realizes that she is pregnant and she is also unmarried. And in 1964, when the, when her sister has committed a murder and now Marigold is, dra- is dragged into this, she's going, oh shoot, this is way more than I need to be getting involved with. So she goes on the run as well. And so while they are both running from very significant problems, there is a man who is following both of them for his own reasons. So there is a lot of, a lot of drama. Well, no, drama sounds sounds way too superficial. There are a lot of secrets. There are a lot of really significant problems. And there is a man tailing these two sisters. And it, again, it sounds like it's got a really great blend of the crime thriller, the legal thriller, the psychological thriller, and still within the context of this this social commentary as well. It just sounded so interesting, and I had all of the best intentions to read it for this episode, and then did not get around to it. So... Sadly, I'm not able to talk about my experiences yet with reading this book, but I hope that you will pick up at, uh, either or both of these novels by Wanda M. Morris because, uh, yeah, I think she's fantastic. I mean, she sounds great. So, I mean, it's like a twofer, you know? Yeah. And that's why I was like, well, you know, since I didn't get a chance to read the one I intended to, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll call this like a little, a little bonus. <laughs> But again, the two books by Wanda M. Morris are All Her Little Secrets and Anywhere You Run. And these are standalone novels, so you can read whichever book you want in whichever order you want. Sounds perfect. Uh, So those are all of our picks, and I guess it's time to move on to new books. Well, I was going to say, why don't you go ahead? Because (laughs) I have been, I've been the most recent rambler on this episode, so. I like that, the most recent rambler. (laughs) So my pick is one by an author I've already read before, and that is Rebecca Mackay's I Have Some Questions for You. This is like a literary mystery slash crime novel. And it I loved so many things about The Great Believers, and I think Rebecca Mackay at her best is just a fascinating read. She really gets into like the psyches of her characters really well when she's just like sticking her landing. And yes, so I was like, yes, I will pick this up. Uh, So this is about a film professor and podcaster, Bodhi Kane, and she has had this thing happen in her past when she was attending a New Hampshire boarding school, and there was a murder of a classmate there, and it was in 1995. So now, as an adult, um, she goes back to the school because they've invited her to, to teach and speak and whatever, you know, look at our alumni, look how they're doing great, whatever, you know how they do. And uh, that kind of like rehashes everything and brings a lot to the surface. Um, who is the killer? Like, it doesn't seem like they ever really figured all of that out. So I'm really much looking forward to this. I have it sitting on like my little side table ready to listen to. I have some things I have to do for work, but like, 
As soon as those are done, I meet those deadlines. I'm so excited. I've heard nothing but good things about the audiobook as well. So, well, there you go. Bonus. Fantastic. And that goes, that comes out uh, today as of this recording. So, it is out when you're listening to this. So, all right. Go forth. (laughs) (laughs) So, my new release pick is Scorched Grace by Margot Duahy. And this is also out today on the 21st. This is a debut novel and the first in the Sister Holiday series. And it is also the first book published by Gillian Flynn's new publishing imprint, which is really cool. Although I do, every time I see news about this, I'm like, Gillian Flynn, will you please write, finish writing your own book? I'm so yes. sad. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Sorry. Just, we had to have a moment for that. <laughs> while we're waiting... This book just sounds super interesting because Sister Holiday, who is the main character, she is a queer, chain-smoking, heavily tattooed nun who is also asked to put her amateur amateur sleuthing skills to the test. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm like, that That belongs on the, what is it, the subreddit, like, brand new sentences or something. <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure we do not have another another main character like this. So Sister Holiday, she is affiliated with St. Sebastian School, um, which becomes the target of an arson spree. And so the Sisters of the Sublime Blood and the surrounding community in New Orleans are just thrust into chaos. So Sister Holiday, perhaps not surprisingly given the initial description, is a former punk rocker turned nun. And she isn't satisfied to just kind of wait around for the officials to return everything, you know, to peace and quiet. And so she decides she's going to figure out who has been setting these fires. So her investigation sends her down a very dark and secretive path. It turns her against students, colleagues, even her fellow sisters. And she has to, of course, reckon with the events and the sins of her own past in order to figure out what exactly is going on. So this is, it sounds like a very difficult novel to classify, but the description kind of puts it in the hard-boiled genre, which again, normally isn't my, isn't normally my first pick, but with a character like Sister Holiday, I'm like, yes, I will happily pick up this book. So yeah, I mean, that, it just sounds awesome. It does. (laughs) Yeah. And it, again, that is Scorch Grace by Margot Duahi, and that is out today on February 21st. Well, those are all of our picks for today. I, I think we have a good group. Oh, yeah. I really, I really do. This is a very <laughs> solid choice. Way to go, us. Digital air high, high five. five. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that is our show. Uh, Thanks so much to everyone for listening, and thank you to Dylan for remaining silent for most of this recording. Um, And also thanks to our wonderful sound editor, Jen Zink, for helping us through the times when our brains just sometimes, they don't work very well, and she makes us sound awesome. So thank you, Jen. Way better than we sound on the original. Yes, 100%. (laughs) So if you're looking for show notes and things we've mentioned today in today's podcast, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. For more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen 
or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. If you'd like to send us an email with feedback or suggestions, you can reach us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me, Kendra, on Twitter and Instagram at kdwinchester. You can find Katie on Twitter at kt underscore library lady. Of course, those will be linked as always. And we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.